Have you ever noticed that the world's full of problems? How many of you have noticed that lately? <laughs> we, we live on a planet that's problem prone. There's chaos, unrest, uncertainty. There's pain and suffering, sin. And then there's the stuff that's just evil. You know, it's kind of off the charts. But this world is far from perfect, isn't it? And it shouldn't be surprising because there's nothing on this planet that's perfect. Are you ready? You're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. No. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's really not perfect. <laughs> no relationships are perfect. Um, some things don't work out. Some things are, are twisted in this world. But this world's damaged. And it's broken. And as a result, it has a lot of problems. There are just a lot of problems. And I will be honest with you. Sometimes when I kind of focus on what's wrong in the world, when I, when I focus on it long enough, it is a bit overwhelming. And I think, surely, surely there's a solution to the world's problems. And I think about all the ways that we approach the problems of this world. And, and we tend to take this kind of band-aid approach. What we do is kind of simply deal with the, the surface, which really doesn't work. Because you've got to get to the root. It's kind of like when you get weeds in the garden. If you go out and you just clip the top of the weeds, what happens? They grow back. Sometimes more of them grow back. The only way you get rid of the weeds is to get to the root. To, to get to the bottom of it. There are a lot of problems in your life, in mine, in our families, and in our careers, and in our nation, and in this world. And I, and I believe that if you just cut the problem at the top, and you never deal with the root, what happens is it grows back. In fact, it creates a lot of other havoc. In this world, there, there are all these approaches for trying to deal with problems. I, I was thinking about, there, there's kind of the political approach out there. Most of us are familiar with this in recent years. Basically, the idea is that we are going to solve the world's problems by passing laws and, and legislation. And a lot of people believe that the government is going to solve the world's problems. It's kind of salvation by legislation, you might say. And what I say to that is good luck, you know. Here's the problem with it. You cannot legislate change. In fact, there has never been a law that has changed anyone. That anywhere, any time, any era. I mean, it might cause someone to conform... Okay, change their behavior in the sense that, uh, better not do that. But law has never changed, really changed a person, changed their, their beliefs or their attitudes or their character or their prejudice. The, the fact is, it just doesn't. You have to go deeper than the law. And don't misunderstand me. Politics is fine, okay? But it is not the ultimate answer 
to the world's problems. Some people say, well, education, that's it, educational approach. And kind of the thought behind that is that you can deal with all the world's problems and if you look, the issue is ignorance. Ignorance is the issue. And so if we can just get everybody better educated, this world would be a better place. Now, obviously, we believe in education. It's important. I, I believe that the eliminating of illiteracy in the world is a great goal. But I do not believe that salvation is found in education. Why? Because it's just not enough. In fact, I was thinking about there are a lot of, of criminals and, and terrorists and tyrants and dictators, highly educated. You can be educated and lack character, can't you? Education's a good thing, but it's not enough. It, again, it doesn't get to the root of the problem. Some people say, well, economics, that's how we're going to fix the world. You know, every problem has a financial or economic solution to it. And the premise with that is if you help people earn more, have more, then their lives will get better. You know, kind of salvation by compensation, you might say. And again, of course, economics matters. In fact, faith fellowship, we, we believe it's important. That's why we work at trying to eliminate poverty and why we assist the poor and get involved in people's lives when the bottom's dropping out. But again, bottom line here, if you just help people get more money, more stuff, you're hitting the surface. In fact, having a lot of money does not solve all your problems. Because I was thinking about it, if it did, the wealthiest people in the world would be the happiest. And the fact is, they're not. We, we know that's not true, right? There's a psychological approach. This is a positive one today. If you're going to help people change, the idea is you help them feel good about themselves. You help them find happiness. And so you, you work with people and you help them deal with their past and their relationships and their self-esteem. And if you get that all in place, then you can be happy. It's a popular topic with talk shows. There are more books on the topic than, than you can count. If you go to the bookstore, it's just amazing. And it's kind of this idea, the way we find salvation is by actualization. As if the whole goal, and this is the problem, because the whole goal seems to be my happiness. That, that's what it's about. And so you end up with this kind of meistic mentality. It's, a, it's all about me. The answers are in me. And I just want to say, you know what? You were created by God. You were created with, with a purpose. And until you get a grasp on that, until you understand that, this life doesn't make sense. And it gets pretty crazy. There's scientific approach. And I get kind of excited about some of the things going on in this area because, you know, I think about the DNA mapping that's going on and our understanding of the human body and genes. It's amazing stuff. Biotechnology, making these tremendous gains that we never thought were possible. Heard a biotech CEO, he, they asked him, they said, well, what are you trying to accomplish? And he said, 
Well, our goal is a pill and a treatment for every problem. Still not enough. Technological approach. A lot of changes in that. Computers, social networks, incredible impact. You know, it's part of why this church has made a commitment to technology. We're leveraging it to to make a difference. And I understand there's an upside to technology and innovation, but it's not salvation. It's not going to solve the problems. And the bottom line, what, what I want to just kind of build a foundation here to say, all that stuff's important. All that stuff's important. But none of them get to the root of the problem. It doesn't get to the heart because the reality is it doesn't deal with human beings directly. But God's got an approach. And God's is to change hearts. To change hearts. God specializes in changing people. Changing broken people into whole people. Changing hateful people into loving people. Changing self-centered people into unselfish people. And changing sinful people into forgiven people. Salvation by transformation. In fact, I believe it's something only God can do. Proverbs writes, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Hmm. The heart, the heart is the root. It determines what you do in life, doesn't it? Determines how you act. It, it will determine, the heart will determine your character, who you really are. I mean, you might have everybody else fooled, but it determines who you are. And when I look at this world, when I take a really hard look at this world, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world that has heart issues. You have heart issues. I have heart issues. And that's the problem. I mean, I see it it all kinds of ways. I mean, first of all, there's guilt. There's guilt. The the fact is, we are all guilty, aren't we? We have all blown it in our lives. And and we've got all this guilt we carry around with us. And the fact is, you've got it. I've got it. And we just carry these chains. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I do not measure up to my own standards, let alone God's standards. And so what we do, we walk around with guilt. We carry it around with us. It's chained to us. Everywhere we go, you can't, can't shake it. You can't get rid of it. You can't pretend it doesn't exist. hope nobody sees it. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I find it difficult to be happy when I'm carrying this stuff around. I find it difficult to feel good about myself when I'm dragging guilt in my life. You ever feel worthless? Because of these chains. These chains of guilt. You know, the psalmist says, my sins have overtaken me. So that I'm bent down. 
with their weight. They're more than the hairs on my head, which that's kind of easy to figure. (laughs) My strength is gone because of this. Where's your dance? It gets heavy, exhausting. Anybody get tired of carrying guilt around with you? It just, it, it's complicated. And then, and then when it comes to sin, sin's got this power, doesn't it? It just, it just keeps wrapping around us. You know, we struggle. We resist it. We, we fight. And then we just give in sometimes. But it just keeps wrapping us up. And we, we hope, we hope we can, we can kind of hide it so people don't see it. We're hoping nobody finds out. Hey, what's that? Nothing. It's nothing. (laughs) But here's the deal inside. It's defeating, isn't it? It's defeating us. It's defeating our, our relationships. It defeats our happiness. It defeats our health. I mean, you, you can call it what you want. Weakness, a vice, shortcoming, a mistake. But friends, make no mistake about it. It's sin. It's sin. And sin's got this just incredible power. And it just keeps wrapping and wrapping and wrapping. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I feel kind of powerless. I think it's what Paul was writing when he wrote in Romans 7. He says, but this I... I need something more. For if I know the law, but I can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but I do it anyway. Sound familiar? Anybody relate to that? Hmm? I mean, all the promises we make to ourselves, this isn't happening again. I am sticking with it this time. I am going to break these chains. I mean it. I really mean it this time. And then we fall. We fall again. You know, Paul, he goes on, he says... It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin's there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in it. Joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. It's got power, doesn't it? stuff's got power sin sin it's got all this power in it and it just keeps pulling me and alienating me you know you you feel disconnected you feel disconnected from god you feel disconnected from other people from your family friends your spouse i don't understand you i feel i feel like we're in two different worlds friends that's how sin works it just keeps wrapping itself around us, creating this distance, robbing. It just robs us of, of joy. 
and, and peace in this life. It creates this uh, incredible loneliness, this kind of uh, separation. And friends, I'll tell you, without Jesus Christ, that alienation, it gets greater and greater and deeper. Paul writes in Colossians, he says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. He's talking about sin there. He's saying, you know, it'll alienate you. I find it interesting. We, we live in a time in history. We should be better connected than ever. It is easier to stay connected. And yet, I believe we live in one of the most loneliest planets ever. In fact, the isolation, I think, is greater than it's ever been because so many people are disconnected from God, which might explain the confusion in this world, why it's at an all-time high. It might explain why we have all this aimless living that, that just doesn't make sense because the vast majority of people don't know where they are. They don't know where they came from. And so it shouldn't be a surprise. They don't know where they're going. Just drifting. No goals. No, no purpose in life. And I'm here to tell you today, there is more to life than just surviving. There's more to life than, than partying and living for the weekend. There, there's more to life than hitting the treadmill. You know, getting up in the morning, going to work. You know, coming home, watching TV, going to bed, getting up in the morning, going to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed. There's more than this. This stuff just changes you. Paul says, once you, once you, he says, when he looked out over the crowd, his heart broke. He's talking about Jesus. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep without a shepherd. When you live disconnected from God, life gets confusing. Life becomes numbing. These chains, they get heavy. They get heavy. You find you worry a a lot. You know, the Proverbs writes, says, worry weighs a person down. Anybody weighed down by worry today? It's bondage. We're we're restless. We're disengaged. We're anxious. And it just keeps wrapping us up and sapping our energy and our strength, stealing joy. But friends, God had a plan. God had a plan to deal with these chains these chains that enslave us, that these chains of guilt and worry and alienation and confusion, chains of sin, that have this incredible power. I mean, God had a plan, and that's why Jesus Christ came to this world. That's why we celebrate today, because Jesus Christ came to change hearts. He came to change the world. He came to change eternity. I mean, why did Christ die on the cross? Well, one, he was taking my place and your place. You know, Jesus took on my punishment for this stuff, sin. 
He became my replacement. Became our substitute at that point. You know, Paul writes, he says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Nothing but the blood. God sent Jesus Christ to the cross to shed his blood, to die on a cross. Why? To pay for this sin. Pay for the sin in our life. Galatians, Paul writes, he says, but before the time for faith came, the law kept us locked up as prisoners until the coming of faith should be revealed. And so the law was in charge of us until Christ came in order that we might then be put right with God through faith. Now the time for faith is here. The law is no longer in charge. We've sinned. Nobody's perfect. We've blown it. We've earned the penalty. What's the penalty? Paul says the wages of sin's death. That's what I deserve. That's what I've earned. Somebody has to pay for this stuff. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll do it. I'll pay with my blood. I'll play with my pay with my death. I will pay for all your sins. All the ones that you've committed, all the ones you're going to commit, all the ones that are, that are weighing you down, all the ones you, you feel guilty about, all the ones that you have not come to terms with yet. That's what Jesus Christ did for you and me. It's huge, huge. Do you know one of Jesus' last words on the cross was, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it's finished. And he walked out of that grave three days later to prove, to prove to us that it was finished. You know, it is finished in the Greek, teltelistai. It's a, it's a legal term, literally. It was stamped on a bill that meant paid in full. In other words, a uh, Roman prisoner, after they had served their time, you know, 20 years in prison maybe, they would get a certificate, tauteliste, paid in full. It's finished. That's what Jesus was saying. I mean, how long do you remember a bill that's paid off? You don't. You forget about it, don't you? Why? Because it's paid off. You don't have the burden of it. Jesus Christ paid the price with his blood and death on the cross. Your sins and mine, paid. Paid in full. It's history. It's finished. That's the good news of Easter. You know, Isaiah says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we were healed. 
The fact is, Jesus Christ took our place. That's the good news because you get to hear those three words that I believe every person longs to hear, and that is, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. When when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you accept what He did on the cross for you, when you accept that forgiveness, paid in full. It's finished. Why do I need that? Well, get rid of these chains. These chains of death, these chains of guilt. It's debilitating, isn't it? I was reading reading the other day. They said they believe maybe half of all the people that deal with, with disease and sickness, it's guilt-related. Guilt affects the body, doesn't it? affects how we live every day. And what I know from reading God's word, that is not how God intended us to live life. In fact, he designed us to live forgiven. How's God forgive? Well, instantaneously, completely, freely. One of my favorite scriptures, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now. Here's another thing. Sin no longer has power on us because of what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ bought my freedom from this stuff. You know, Paul, Paul writes in Timothy, he says, He sacrificed himself for all people to be free from their sins. This is a valid for every era. He bought my freedom. You know, the word free in the Greek, it's redeem. It's where we get redemption. You hear that word sometimes. And the idea is a a slave that's being bought, that's being set free, being set free from from bondage. Jesus Christ was breaking the bondage. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not a slave. What What do I need redemption from? What do I need freedom from in my life? Well, you need freedom from the chains. You know, whatever it is that controls you in your life, we are all controlled by something. We're all slaves to something. I mean, maybe you're a slave to your peers. Maybe you're a a slave to your schedule or to work or some addiction or your past or your guilt. Maybe you're a slave to anger in your life or self-centeredness. I don't know. You fill in the blank. But we are all slaves to something something's got us chained up in our lives paul says don't don't be a slave of your desires or live like people who don't know god if you're a christ follower today whatever is controlling you it's lost its power because of what jesus christ did he paid the price to set you free you can't, you can't earn it. You can't repay God for what He's done. You know, you can't do enough good works. You just got to accept it. And Jesus Christ did something else. He restored my relationship with God. It's called reconciliation. You know, it's where God brings together two parties that, that have been kind of distanced by conflict now i'm going to challenge your minds a little bit you'll find this hard to believe but once in a while i do something 
and I hurt my wife, all right? And there's kind of this break in our relationship. Hard to believe, isn't it? But here's what I find hard to believe. We can be in the same house, and there's just this distance. I mean, in fact, we can be in the same room and the same bed, and there's just this distance. And the fact is, there needs to be some reconciliation to bring us back together, to close that distance in our relationship. Here's the truth. Most people do not feel close to God feel like God's not involved in their life. They feel like when they they pray that that God's not listening. If you're a Christian and God feels really far away today, well, guess who moved? It was you. See, the Bible says sin separates us from God. Sin separates us. These chains separate us. But here's the amazing thing. God didn't wait for you to take initiative. God took initiative. The the fact is when you blow it, when you turn your back and kind of do your own thing, when you do that incredibly stupid, embarrassing thing, God took the first step toward restoring what he did when he sent Jesus Christ to this world. It's what he did when he let him die on the cross. You know, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says, but now in Christ, you were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God took initiative. God took initiative to close the gap, to close this gap that was between us and God. chains of sin that were keeping us from God Christ died so that we could live life in the presence of God so that we could go directly to God so that we were able to talk to God about whatever's on our mind our our struggles, our problems our frustrations Jesus Christ changed all that because he wanted us to be able to talk about whatever those frustrations were those struggles in our life. That's how God works. You know, the fact is that we, we can go to God and talk to God 24-7. Old Testament time, before Jesus came to this world, He only had access through the priest. Jesus changed that. The Bible says Jesus is our, our priest. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Jesus paid the price for you and me so we'd have full access anytime we want to God. Full access. And he gave us a new identity. I was uh, on the internet. I googled changing my identity. You want to guess how many hits? 11 million. Some of them scary. In fact, a good portion of them scary. But there was one caught my eye, changing my identity and disappearing forever. (laughs) And I'm going to guess we've all been there, haven't we? Just want to disappear. Identity is a huge thing in our society. 
And our, our culture, when it comes to image and identity, defines it several ways. I think there are four main ways. You know, what we do. That's one way we define ourselves. What we do, our careers, you know. What, what we have, our, our possessions, you know, what we know educationally. You know, how we look, appearance. But friends, I would argue identity is deeper than that. It's rooted at a spiritual level. You know, this world, I believe at its best, can maybe give you an extreme makeover, teach you some new skills, or, uh, you know, put us in a position where we could change a few things in our life, maybe change your name or whatever. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, real change is possible. Radical, profound change, new life. It's what Paul was writing about when he said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life's gone and the new life has begun. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the moment you accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross, what happens is there's this spiritual transformation and this transaction takes place and everything changes. I mean, if you look in the mirror, you're probably going to look the same. You're going to have the same car, same house, same family, same job. But what happens is there's a kind of a metamorphosis where we come out of the cocoon, a new creation. And I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about new creation where God through the Holy Spirit works inside of you, changing you, changing your your attitude, changing your priorities, changing your desire, changing your heart and your mind you know, what we believe about ourselves, and most of all, changing the power to overcome sin. Paul says, so consider yourselves dead to sin, sin's power, but living for God and the power Christ Jesus gives you. New creation. A new way of living that's only found in Jesus Christ. I mean, I think some people think this is living. But I got news for you, this isn't living. And Jesus Christ defeated death. Death's one of the greatest fears in this world, isn't it? I have been with a lot of people through the years, a lot of people that were dying. I've been a part of a lot of funerals through the years. And I have seen the difference between those with hope and those without hope. And those without hope, without God, without Jesus Christ, I will tell you, there's, there is a terror, kind of a lostness. But those with Jesus Christ, oh, we grieve, we hurt, there's a brokenness. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope because we know someday we'll all be together again. We know someday in heaven, no more pain, no more suffering, 
Because we know that our eternity is secure. We know this is not the end of it. I mean, I look at this world and I see the the war and, and violence and the unrest and disease and corruption and sin. The planet's broken, friends. It's broken. And I thank God every day that I am just passing through this world. That heaven is my real home. You know, Paul writes, he says, We know that when Christ was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. See, he's pointing to that better day. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because of Jesus Christ's blood. Because of his death. Because Jesus Christ walked out of that grave. I no longer need to feel worthless and hopeless. I no longer need to to live powerless in my life and aimless. Friends, I no longer need to be wrapped up in these chains anymore because of what Christ did. Everything's changed now. Easter, that's what it's about. It's changed these chains. These chains of death, sin, guilt, confusion, alienation. These chains have no more power. No more power. All you have to do is accept what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and make Him your Savior. Friends, and just let the chains fall. No more chains. Some of you need to do that. You need to make Christ your Savior. Life's crazy. Maybe it's because you haven't got that right yet. Let's bow a word of prayer together. Our Holy God. These chains are heavy. And God, I know there are those here today that they are bound up in them. It's weighing them down. God, I pray that in their heart of hearts they'd just reach out to you. They'd accept you as their Savior, Lord of their life. God, I know there are those that have taken that step. For some reason, they've held on to the chains. And God, I pray that you would give them the strength to just let it fall. Realize there is no more power in these. There's a better way to live. God, we thank you. That first Easter, when you walked out of the grave, what that meant. Let us never forget that. God, we praise you for your grace and your mercy and your love. We praise you for that power. God, help us to be the people you created us to be and have called us to be. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.